the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed he is, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. It is, is we're running a ship here today. <laughs> Usually say welcome to the show, but welcome on board. And please, as you cross over the uh, gangplank and on board the vessel, uh, be sure to uh, to mind the ropes. Any rate, <laughs> great to have you with us today. It is a Tuesday, the 22nd of May, and uh, great to have you with us for a new edition, a new week of Lifeline. We're here, of course, Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program, we have invited best-selling author Dr. Greg Jantz, um, who has written one of, the, one of his more recent books, anyway, called Raising Boys by Design with the Bible and Brain Science Reveal What Your Son Needs to Thrive. And it's an interesting topic. Dr. Jantz, one of the most celebrated uh, Christian counselors in the country, Christian family counselors, to give us some insights into... The latest in the series, uh, and I guess we're calling it a series now because that's certainly how it's demonstrating itself or revealing itself to be, of shootings across America. And, of course, most recently the one in uh, Texas just late last week, trying to better understand from a preventative standpoint. And yes, I know a lot of talk about, oh, we need greater gun control and all of that. I get that. But but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get to the core question as to what is motivating these young men to behave in this fashion. Where is this anger coming from? We're going to try to better understand the psychology behind it all when Dr. Greg Jantz joins us later on in tonight's program. Also... Brad Dagos will drop in, as time permits, for a quick update. We'll talk a bit about sex education in the public classroom and what your rights as a parent are. Brad Dacus, of course, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And speaking of the topic of sex, what do they say? You shouldn't mix sex, politics, and religion. We'll aim to do all three tonight on the program. Um, But there is a story, of course, a bill that we have been following for many months now. You'll be familiar with California's AB 2943 that recently passed through the California State Assembly. Now sits in the hands of the California Senate. Now, 
beyond some of the more egregious aspects of this measure that go to questions regarding uh, reparative therapy, California Consumer Fraud Act, it, it seems to be a strange mixture of attempting to uh, use secular laws to deal with religious viewpoints and, and setting aside for the moment that aspect of First Amendment rights. There's another concern lurking behind AB 2943 that bears some discussion, and that is a potential threat to First Amendment rights as it relates to, well, not only religious freedoms, uh, but also freedom of the press. And if you include the press, not just those that report on things, but the press as in the press that presses and makes books, then you'll quickly begin to understand that there is some of the language within this measure currently being considered by the Senate, already passed by the Assembly, that could, in fact, threaten religious liberties as it relates to the sale or distribution of religious materials. To give us some more insight on this, we're joined now by the Dean of Pepperdine University, Pete Peterson. And, uh, Dean, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. There has been an attempt, I think, at some levels to sort of whitewash some aspects of the language of this bill. But at the end of the day, I suppose there's a very difficult road that we have to traverse down in order to deny that it not only attempts to address uh, California Consumer Protection Act laws in relationship to so-called reparative therapy, but also, as you suggest, very large concerns over First Amendment rights. What's going on here? Yes, you're absolutely right, and great to be on with you. I, this, uh, so much of this is being treated in uh, terms related to religious liberty, and, and that certainly could be one angle to look at it. But you're absolutely right to say that there's another part of the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech. And quite frankly, uh, as this is something that impinges upon uh, so-called consumer protection, are consumers really being protected? Uh, it was one thing when some of these laws were discussed as related to minors, but knowing those who uh, practice in this area as counselors, uh, what we're saying is we're not no longer letting uh, so-called consenting adults make decisions about their own uh, mental health. And I think that really needs to be introduced as a significant part of this conversation. We are essentially banning and prohibiting adults from making decisions over their own mental health. Well, and what's also equally disturbing in the language of this particular measure, particularly as they're attempting to uh, address the whole counseling reparative therapy issue by uh, sort of overlaying the the um, the broad stroke of the California Consumer Protection Act, and that is that it not only deals with the services portion, uh, the counseling, I guess we would call it, but also the goods portion, right. which would include books. And what's problematic about this is not not only uh, seeming to take on this Orwellian feeling of we're going to begin burning certain or banning certain, or maybe they'll burn them too, but <laughs> banning certain books that we don't agree with, suddenly now we're going to leave it up to what? The California state legislature to decide what can and cannot be said, what can and cannot be talked about relative to this topic? Absolutely right. That is another part of this, that it's not just the, the, the counseling and in-person engagement with counselors uh, serving in this area. It's also the print and video materials that uh, are part of this as well. And it really is breathtaking 
when you think about uh, the scale and scope of this. And as with so many pieces of legislation that take on these issues, uh, there has been either little forethought or malice of forethought on the part of legislators in thinking through the real uh, and full implications of this. Some might wonder how a group of lawyers, largely that's what this, uh, the the Assembly and uh, the Senate is comprised of, how a group of law- lawyers would think a, a measure of this sort would be able to pass constitutional muster, which maybe leads to your uh, <laughs> your more broad point that it, 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 it may perhaps be malice of forethought. But there's another issue here, and I have to wonder, you know, even though this seems to turn on one specific area, doesn't this potentially, in your uh, opinion, uh, Dean Peterson, open it up to a slippery slope that, you know, while maybe they won't carry it to ridiculous degrees today in the future or under another legislature or a different governor or another set of circumstances that suddenly now we have Sacramento deciding what's healthy, what's not healthy. Who's to say at some point we don't say, you know, um, preachers shouldn't preach a certain way from the pulpit because certain feelings might be heard, and we're suddenly now trying to be extra sensitive toward those children that are dealing with gender dysphoria, so be careful what you say there. And suddenly, apparently, all bets are off. Well, I really do hope that's not the case. I, I personally, uh, at least my opinion on 2943, uh, some are questioning whether this uh, might open up the door towards banning Bibles and, and uh, pastors being able to speak out on this. I don't think that that's a part of this. But what I am very concerned about is what it opens the door for a variety of other uh, issues related to the decisions that adults make, again, around their own mental health. And the door is certainly not closed on the impact of this therapy and really helping uh, thousands, if not millions of people. The and, fact uh, that the, the Assembly has already passed this, uh, based on what you're hearing, what do you think the chances are that it's going to see the light of day coming out of the Senate and making its way to the governor's desk? Well, I would say what's so encouraging, as I've uh, spoken to uh, contacts that I have up your way in Sacramento and followed the news coverage and certainly being invited here to speak on it, and I know you've been covering it otherwise, is that the attention has really increased just in the last month. Uh, when you Google 2943, you're seeing articles from a uh, variety of of uh, different national journals and publications. This is no longer just a, a California issue. And I have to say, I think it was the uh, it was the goal of the legislators who put this together to kind of sneak this out, uh, frankly, under the dead of night with very little attention. And so while I would have thought maybe uh, three or four weeks ago that this was going to go by uh, and pass without much attention, I, I, I really am encouraged by uh, the amount of attention that it's getting, and I, I very much hope that that is going to uh, either uh, cause it to not make it out of the legislature or at least let uh, Governor Brown know that there is a significant difference of opinion amongst Californians on this issue for a variety of reasons. And probably to that degree, there needs to be a twofold step, and that is not only reaching out to members of the California State Senate who have yet to vote on this measure, but to the governor and expressing your opinion on Assembly Bill 24, I'm sorry, 2943. 
Now, again, as um, uh, Dean Peterson points out, it is not unusual for the legislature with uh, so-called potentially risky bills, constitutionally questionable bills, I would call them, for them to attempt sort of the the Trojan horse approach to this. That is, as we're nearing the end of the legislative session and we're getting into the summer months and people are beginning to focus uh, more on vacations and this kids graduating from school and so forth, we tend to get busy. And when we get busy, we tend not to pay attention. Uh, This is not a time not to be paying attention, but to actually be paying attention and having your voice heard on California's Assembly Bill 2943, again passed by the Assembly, moving now for consideration in the Senate and uh, ideally reaching out to both members of the Senate here for California as well as Governor Brown's office, critically important at this time. You can get information, by the way, about the bill, along with details as to how to write to your member of the California State Senate by going to CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. I'd like to thank Dean Pete Peterson with Pepperdine University for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The family of the Texas high school shooting suspect is speaking out now after the tragedy. The Pagordas family released a statement saying they're just as shocked and confused as everyone else on the heels of the actions of their son, 17-year-old Demetrius Pagordas, who opened fire at Santa Fe High School late last week. Media reports say that they seem to be, the actions seem to be incompatible, quote-unquote, with the boy that they love. They indicated that they will continue to cooperate with authorities. As you probably know, 10 people were killed, 13 injured, when 17-year-old Demetrius Bogortis opened fire at Santa Fe High School. This raises so many of the same questions that we seem to ask over and over and over again with a lot, a lot of answers. Uh, To be sure, the argument typically immediately focuses in on the question of Second Amendment rights, gun control, all of that. And while that certainly is part of the argument, we have to be mindful of something. Guns have been around in America for a very, very long time. This type of violence, this type of anger and acting out has not. So what has changed? Is it more guns or more anger? Taking a look at these questions, we are joined now by the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, Dr. Greg Jantz. He is a best-selling author of more than 25 books on topics that range from addiction to depression to eating disorders. Two of his most recent books include Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future, and a very timely one, called Raising Boys by Design, What the Bible and Brain Science Reveal About What Your Son Needs to Thrive. And Dr. Jantz, great to have you back on the show. Oh, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Looking at this, seeing the behavior and this uh, tragedy, of course, in Texas just added to uh, a series of tragedies. We can go all the way back to Columbine. We can talk about Orlando. We can talk about Florida. On and on the list goes. And while we typically see the debate swirling around Second Amendment rights, gun laws, things of that sort, the one big question that doesn't, in my opinion, get nearly enough attention, and that is what's going on in the minds of these children that are fostering such a degree of anger in them that they reach the boiling point that they act out in such a violent way? You know, that is the question. What is going on? And, you know, there is a profile, generally speaking, 
we know they're generally males. We know the age range. Uh, we start to break it down. Well, what are the mental health issues uh, that are going on? We know for young men, in particular, the you know warning signs of academic failure when they they're isolating, uh, they are disengaged from peer group, and importantly, and here's here's a pat here's something we see that comes up a lot is um, when they feel a sense of betrayal. So I've been injured, I've been hurt, and I am going to hurt you back plus more. And so you, wow, how, how can the thinking get that distorted that my hurting back would be violence and murder? Um, but, you know, we're also in an age of, of apathy towards the future. A lot of kids feel a real sense of despondency and hopelessness. Um, and we need to understand there are significant mental health issues here. You know, the one thing to your point, and certainly we've we've seen this even suggested in this most recent case out of Texas, that this young man was bullied. Uh, there might be a situation of some unrequited love that also sort of uh, heaped on uh, some additional pressure. Yeah, yeah. But here's the one thing that I think many of us observers don't understand, Dr. Jansen, that's this. Uh, unrequited love is nothing new. And right. I bet many people listening right now to our conversation will say, well, I, you know, I, I wasn't the most popular kid on campus when I went through high school. I got bullied and I never felt motivated to go out and get a bomb or uh, start collecting ammunition to decide to go to the school and, and get even in such a fashion. I, I almost wonder if at the same token, while we're trying to uh, uh, help young men get more in touch with their feelings and, and deal with their identity confusion, if in the process we're not making them even more confused and we're making them so soft to a certain degree that rather than being able to tough it up or, or recognize what a bully is and move on, that they suddenly feel somehow compelled that they have to even the score. Yes, but we've also had a lot of modeling of, of this. And uh, as distorted as it may seem, uh, we have so many shootings and they are modeling what's been done. And, and frighteningly, some say, well, I'll do it even better. And so uh, ha they have a model of violence. There's, I mean, there's so many school shootings. What have we had? Like 288 here in the last couple of years. The numbers are just overwhelming that it almost gets normalized. I mean, another school shooting? Yeah, it's horrible, but we have so many of them now. It almost makes me wonder, in, in your learned opinion, Dr. Gantz, and again, for listeners that have joined us late, we're visiting today with author Dr. Greg Jantz. He's the best-selling author of more than 25 books, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. And I, I wonder if part of this is indicative of a male identity crisis taking place in our country. Well, you, you bring up a really important point, and one of that is, is you know, the whole rite of passage, what is a male, when does a boy become a man, and then the question is, is what's a man? And we're also uh, dealing with issues, we have new terms, we have gender fluidity, we have uh, issues of sexual identity, and so in, a, in one word, there's a lot of confusion. And this confusion, sadly, is 
is playing out in ways in which then what? That these these boys don't know how to, in a healthy fashion, channel their energy, channel maybe their frustration, even their anger. And so as a result, it, it comes out in ways. I mean, you know, when when I was a kid, if you got really angry, you meant maybe punched a wall somewhere. And if you made a big enough hole, you, you, you got taken to the, uh, the education room, as my father used to call it, and uh, taught not to do that again, and then got a quick lesson on how to patch drywall. <laughs> or maybe yeah, you busted yeah. up your knuckles in the process, and you learned not to do that again. So why is it that there's no means by which young men who get frustrated or uh, they're dealing with the response to bullying. And and I realize today there are issues that complicated more. You can get bullied on Facebook or in your face uh, in another fashion. But how how come they can't channel the energy in a more healthier fashion? Well, you know, one of the things we have to look at, too, is you brought up technology, the interference uh, of technology. So we definitely have cyberbully behavior. But we also have addictions starting at younger ages. With the average exposure to pornography on the Internet, now usually here around seven, which is remarkable. Uh, and we have more young men who, by age 16, uh, have developed symptoms that look like sexual addiction and the time spent in pornography. We know that 84% of 13-year-old boys are visiting pornography uh, at least once a week. So if we just say 13-year-olds, most all of them have visited and are actively visiting pornography on a weekly basis. So we've got to factor all this in, that all this is adding up, and then we see issues of of addiction, uh, chemical addiction starting earlier ages. Uh, I live in the state of Washington where cannabis, marijuana is legal. Of course, um, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of that problem, but we have kids who are already using at young ages, and they go, well, it's legal. I'm just not old enough. So uh, we're seeing a lot of this interference with addiction uh, that we need to factor that in as well. If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting today with Dr. Greg Jantz. He is founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. His most recent book is called Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future. We'll take a brief time out, get you updated on some traffic, then return to more of our conversation with Dr. Jantz as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The family of the Texas high school shooting suspect is speaking out now after the tragedy. The Pagordas family released a statement saying they're just as shocked and confused as everyone else on the heels of the actions of their son, 17-year-old Demetrius Pagordas, who opened fire at Santa Fe High School late last week. Media reports say that they seem to be, the actions seem to be incompatible, quote-unquote, with the boy that they love. They indicated that they will continue to cooperate with authorities. As you probably know, 10 people were killed, 13 injured, when 17-year-old Demetrius Gortzis opened fire at Santa Fe High School. This raises so many of the same questions that we seem to ask over and over and over again with a lot, a lot of answers. Uh, To be sure, the argument typically immediately focuses in on the question of Second Amendment rights, gun control, all of that. And while that certainly is part of the argument, we have to be mindful of something. 
Guns have been around in America for a very, very long time. This type of violence, this type of anger and acting out has not. So what has changed? Is it more guns or more anger? Taking a look at these questions, we are joined now by the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, Dr. Greg Jantz. He is a best-selling author of more than 25 books on topics that range from addiction to depression to eating disorders. Two of his most recent books include Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future, and a very timely one called Raising Boys by Design, What the Bible and Brain Science Reveal About What Your Son Needs to Thrive. And Dr. Jantz, great to have you back on the show. Oh, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Looking at this, seeing the behavior and this uh, tragedy, of course, in Texas just added to uh, a series of tragedies. We can go all the way back to Columbine. We can talk about Orlando. We can talk about Florida. On and on the list goes. And while we typically see the debate swirling around Second Amendment rights, gun laws, things of that sort, the one big question that doesn't, in my opinion, get nearly enough attention, and that is what's going on in the minds of these children that are fostering such a degree of anger in them that they reach the boiling point that they act out in such a violent way? You know, that is the question. What is going on? And, you know, there is a profile, generally speaking. We know they're generally males. We know the age range. Uh, We start to break it down. Well, what are the mental health issues uh, that are going on? We know for young men... In particular, the you know warning signs of academic failure when they they're isolating, uh, they are disengaged from peer group, and importantly, and here's here's a pat here's something we see that comes up a lot is um, when they feel a sense of betrayal. So I've been injured, I've been hurt, and I am going to hurt you back plus more. And so you, wow, how how can the thinking get that distorted that my hurting back would be violence and murder? Um, But, you know, we're also in an age of of apathy towards the future. A lot of kids feel a real sense of despondency and hopelessness. Um, And we need to understand there are significant mental health issues here. You know, the one thing to your point, and certainly we've we've seen this even suggested in this most recent case out of Texas, that this young man was bullied. Uh, there might be a situation of some unrequited love that also sort of uh, heaped on uh, some additional pressure. Yeah, yeah. But here's the one thing that I think many of us observers don't understand, Dr. Jantz, and that's this. Uh, unrequited love is nothing new. And right. I bet many people listening right now to our conversation will say, well, I, you know, I, I wasn't the most popular kid on campus when I went through high school. I got bullied, and I never felt motivated to go out and get a bomb or uh, start collecting ammunition to decide to go to the school and, and get even in such a fashion. I, I almost wonder if, at the same token, while we're trying to uh, uh, help young men get more in touch with their feelings and, and deal with their identity confusion, if in the process we're not making them even more confused and we're making them so soft to a certain degree that rather than being able to tough it up or, or recognize what a bully is and move on, that they suddenly feel somehow compelled that they have to even the score. Yes, but we've also had a lot of modeling of, of this. And, 
as distorted as it may seem, uh, we have so many shootings, and they are modeling what's been done. And, and frighteningly, some say, well, I'll do it even better. And so uh, ha- they have a model of violence. There's, I mean, there's so many school shootings. What have we had? Like 288 here in the last couple of years. The numbers are just overwhelming that it almost gets normalized. I mean, another school shooting? Yeah, it's horrible, but we have so many of them now. It almost makes me wonder, in in your learned opinion, Dr. Gantz, and again, for listeners that have joined us late, we're visiting today with author Dr. Greg Jantz. He's the best-selling author of more than 25 books, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, and I, I wonder if part of this is indicative of a male identity crisis taking place in our country. Well, you, you bring up a really important point, and one of that is, is you know, the whole rite of passage, what is a male, when does a boy become a man, and then the question is, is what's a man? And we're also uh, dealing with issues, we have new terms, we have gender fluidity, we have uh, issues of sexual identity, and so, in, a, in one word, there's a lot of confusion. And this confusion, sadly, is, is playing out in ways in which then, what? That these, these boys don't know how to, in a healthy fashion, channel their energy, channel maybe their frustration, even their anger. And so, as a result, it, it comes out in ways. I mean, you know, when, when I was a kid, if you got really angry, you meant maybe punched a wall somewhere, and if you made a big enough hole, you, you, you got taken to the uh, the education room, as my father used to call it, and uh, taught not to do that again, and then got a quick lesson on how to patch drywall. <laughs> or maybe you yeah, busted yeah. up your knuckles in the process, and you learned not to do that again. So why is it that there's no means by which young men who get frustrated or uh, they're dealing with the response to bullying, and, and I realize today there are issues that complicated more. You can get bullied on Facebook or in your face yes, uh, in another yes. fashion. But how, how come they can't channel the energy in a more healthier fashion? Well, you know, one of the things we have to look at, too, is you brought up technology, the interference uh, of technology. So we definitely have cyberbully behavior, but we also have addictions starting at younger ages with the average exposure to pornography on the Internet. Now you usually hear around seven, which is remarkable. Uh, and we have more young men who, by age 16, uh, have developed symptoms that look like sexual addiction and the time spent in pornography. We know that 84% of 13-year-old boys are visiting pornography uh, at least once a week. So if we just say 13-year-olds, most all of them, visited and are actively visiting pornography on a weekly basis. So we've got to factor all this in, that all this is adding up. And then we see issues of, of addiction, uh, chemical addiction starting earlier ages. Uh, I live in the state of Washington where cannabis, marijuana is legal. Of course, um, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of that problem. But we have kids who are already using at young ages and they go, well, it's legal. I'm just not old enough. So uh, we're seeing a lot of this interference with addiction uh, that we need to factor that in as well. 
If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting today with Dr. Greg Jantz. He is founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. His most recent book is called Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future. We'll take a brief time out, get you updated on some traffic, then return to more of our conversation with Dr. Jantz as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Today, a look at the ongoing tragedies, a series of tragedies on campuses across America. Young men generally acting out in violent ways that are costing lives in a significant fashion. And many of us stand back and wonder what's going on. And most importantly, what do we do to stop it? Our visit today with best-selling author and the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, Dr. Greg Jantz. He's written a book, the more recent one called Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future. He also wrote a book called Raising Boys by Design, what the Bible and brain science reveal about what your son needs to thrive. So as you were suggesting before the break, Dr. Jantz, we have technological changes. We have certainly sociological changes, familial changes that are putting pressure on young men today. And I would imagine we could add to that less the spiritual ones, too, as America becomes less and less um, spiritual. Um, so all of this combining together then creates the perfect storm. I guess the big question is that it sits on the mind of every one of us, even as we try to ponder what motivated the young man in Texas to do what he did. Some parents have got to wonder, could my son do this next? And if so, what do we need to be doing differently as parents for our children? You know, I, one of the ways we've got to do this is we've got to stay in relationship with them and also enter into their world some. And what I mean by that is too often we're letting technology be the babysitter. Too often we're, we're disengaged in uh, their world. And so we've got to find ways to engage. And I have a, a son that's still at home. I have two sons. And one of the things that we do, we have a digital dinner. Sounds funny. Usually it's Thursday nights, and we'll talk about anything digital. Um, and I will ask about who's doing what, what you know, what apps are popular. But, and, but we purposely enter his world, and we also have very strong boundaries around technology, around its use, about how much. We do know that uh, the overuse and the overstimulation of the developing brain can create what I call a craving brain or a brain that wants more and more. And, and, and so the, the male brain wants a lot of intensity and it wants a lot of visual and it's a set up for a lot of problems. So we've got to take charge of technology in our young, young kids' lives um, and build those healthy guardrails. The other thing is um, I know it's difficult but we've got to make sure that we're bringing aboard positive male mentors. Uh, a mentor can change a whole direction of a kid's life. And uh, so I've been very strategic in bringing in and having other non, non-family members who are a positive influence. If we leave this up to our culture, um, you just think, of who's a positive role model for our young, young men right now? It's hard to think about one. And... Uh, because there's not very many. So we've got to find that um, who's going to be the influence. And when parents say things, and this is not to pick on the 
the Gorsuch family. I know that they're they're suffering as well at the hands of what's transpired here. But when I hear things like, well, this is not their son, it's not the boy that they knew, this is incompatible with the boy that they love, what does that tell you from a clinical standpoint? Is there a real disconnect here? Well, I don't know. And there's some interesting things. Um, And this is where sometimes this all uh, comes as a huge surprise. And uh, sometimes a family member really does feel like I'm doing everything I know to do, and they're very involved as far as they know, uh, but there's always a hidden self. Uh, anytime there's a secret self, and that secret self, is private self is only known to that young man, it can grow and grow. So I do want to just say, you know, sometimes the parents are doing all they know to do, and so I'm slow to, to you know, like, blame a parent um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, there are situations where there's, uh, neglectful parents or situations where there's addiction and abuse in a home and you start to put those pieces to the puzzle together, but that's not always there. And clearly, as you suggest, the changes that we've seen, this massive paradigm shift within, um, uh, American life in in recent generations is indicative of the notion that our parents in many ways had it easier than we do as parents because we weren't having to battle up against uh, uh, technology, social media, um, and and quite frankly, uh, much of the shift, too, in some of the societal norms or what had been appropriate social norms that are now uh, seemingly very fluid that, that creates this environment where young men are feeling confused, they're, they're um, uh, searching to try and find a sense of purpose and being and belonging. And I suppose at the end of the, at the, end of the day, um, it, it can be as frustrating to watch how they turn out as it can be for parents who really are trying their best, and yet in spite of it all, they feel like they're fighting an uphill battle. I think a lot of parents can relate to that. You know, the two questions that the young man has, uh, young boys, the teenager has, is who am I and where do I fit in? Well, if I'm really confused about who I am and I don't know where I fit in, you know, where are they going to lean towards? Oh, usually it's not a very good group or they're going to isolate, and that's uh, dangerous as well. So at the end, you're, you're counsel for parents. What's the best approach to this? What do they need to do to maybe shift their focus? Well, I'm going to shift the focus back to doing my very best to, to uh, be in relationship. I've got to spend the time that's necessary. And uh, I've got to also ensure that they, the kid is having successes in their life. If there's a lot of academic failure, which is, you know, right now we're looking at approximately 90% of the Ds and Fs in schools go to the boys. If the boys are getting all the D's and F's and they're failing academically and they don't know where they fit in, um, you see, that's an issue. So I'm going to do all I can to build successes in that kid's life and have that influence. That's where the mentors come in. That's where um, we've got to find out that, uh, their gifts, their talents. Got to have success. And you use the word, which is so important, a sense of belonging. 
And at the end of the day, these kids need to have a sense of feeling like they're connected with us as well. And and sadly, more often than not in this day and an age, when we talked about connectivity, we're more concerned about our cell phone or the, the, uh, the bandwidth of our Internet connection than really having a relational connection with our children and they with God and making sure that we're caring for not only the physical aspects, the mental aspects, education, things of that sort, but their spiritual health and well-being as well. A couple of excellent books that uh, deal with this topic. One, Raising Boys by Design, What the Bible and Brain Science Reveal About What Your Son Needs to Thrive, and Dr. Jantz's more recent book, Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, Moving Beyond the Past into a Healthy Future. I hope Dr. Jantz will get a chance to get you back on soon to deal specifically with the book, but I thought in light of what's been uh, transpiring here of late, it was important to talk about some of these shootings and give parents some perspective and hopefully at the end of the day offer them some hope as well. Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of the Center for Counseling and Healing Resources, information available on the web at aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you, sir. We are back. 549 on the clock. And a reminder, Franklin Graham is coming to town. You've probably seen that. (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, Not this coming Thursday and Friday, but a week from, as we get in uh, past uh, the... um, Memorial Day weekend, Franklin Graham is going to be speaking at um, Santa Clara, Great America. That'll be at 7.30 p.m. Thursday night. And then in Cesar Chavez Park in Berkeley, Friday night. Gosh, I'm doing that from memory, and I certainly hope I haven't mixed that up. I, I think I'm correct on that. Uh, If not, I'm sure I'll hear about it, too. Uh, But we'll mention that to you. Hope you're going to make plans to be there. Both events are free. And uh, Jeremy Camp is going to be providing special music. And, again, free and open to the public. Franklin Graham um, got a tour here stateside in California, making his way up from San Diego. I think he was down in Escondido a couple of weeks ago and uh, eventually be up north of us. I think from here he's going to go up towards Sacramento and Redding. But, again, he'll be in town speaking at two events next week from Thursday and Friday. And, um, again, on Thursday night at the um, stadium there inside of Great America where they do the the band, not the band show, but it's the the amphitheater. Thank you, Marco. The amphitheater there at Great America. That'll be on Thursday night. And then at Cesar Chavez Park on Friday night, both evenings, 730, both nights free and open to the public. We will be live on location broadcasting from the Friday event in Berkeley. So uh, hope to see you there. All right, let's turn a corner, talk a bit about education, one of our favorite topics on this program, and uh, one that I think um, bears focusing on, because the education of our children is critically important. I often remind myself that uh, the kids that are, uh, are today going through high school and college and university, when we're old men and old women, and for a few of us that's not that far away, uh, they're going to be running the place. They're going to be the next crop of senators and congressmen and president and so on and so forth. So um, realizing that the potential blowback of educational failures are are re- very real ones in, in many ways. One of the areas largely of concern 
with education in a state like California is not only the failures of the system so often, but also ways in which the system kind of gets in the way of parenting. And as we come just right off the heels of our conversation with Dr. Jantz about um, children dealing with things like uh, identity confusion and gender dysphoria and things of that sort, one of the important aspects is to make sure that the the sex education that children receive is in harmony with the beliefs and the morals that are taught within your home and your church. When they are not, are you necessarily without any weapons? Well, let's talk about that next. We're joined by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, counselor as always. Great to have you with us. Let's talk a bit about this. A lot of parents think, well, California has these sex education classes, and so as a result, I'm kind of stuck. We just hope and pray that they're not teaching crazy things. Uh, but toward that end, do parents have a right to opt a child out of sex education? Well, they certainly do, Craig. Uh, California law gives parents that right to, to opt out their children. In fact, we at Pacific Justice Institute have prepared uh, opt-out forms to make it very easy for them to do so. They can download it for free straight from our website under uh, Get Help at the top of the, uh, the website page. Now, if you do that, are there any potential repercussions? I mean, is there an argument that says that somehow you're depriving the child of an adequate education because they're failing to meet all of what the state of California has deemed is necessary to receive a balanced education? Uh, no, the, a child cannot be punished in any way, shape, or form, academically or uh, denied cookies or anything, I mean, uh, literally anything, uh, because uh, the law protects uh, children from being uh, having any kind of a, a punishment of any kind uh, for uh, being opted out. So let's talk about maybe the balance. Some parents might feel a little bit embarrassed and think, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable enough getting into all of the the um, reproductive details, scientific aspects of all of this. But I do have concerns about um, to what degree my child is being taught sex education and from what viewpoint, things like abstinence, very important from a, a moral standpoint in our household. Is there a way for a parent to receive information ahead of time as to what the curricula will be, what it teaches, what the speakers, who the speakers may be, what organizations they represent beforehand so that a parent can make an informed, educated decision? Yes. In fact, the law in California requires, Craig, for parents to be given notice beforehand as to the uh, sex education instruction and specifically whether or not an outside speaker or presenter is going to be uh, invited in to discuss this. Now, the problem is most school districts uh, hide this kind of notice in pages and pages of, of information uh, so that 99% of the parents never really see the notice. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate. So parents on their own, though, can take initiative and uh, contact the school and say, hey, um, I want to look through all the material uh, that's going to be presented uh, with regard to uh, sex education, uh, or anything dealing with um, uh, sexual issues, and uh, school districts uh, are required to make that available. In fact, they can look at all curriculum material. Parents can look at any curriculum material that's going to be presented to their children uh, beforehand. 
Now, the the sad case of the 13 Turpin children down in Southern California, while most of that certainly pivots on the question of homeschooling and whether or not there ought to be licenses and inspections and things of that sort, we'll save that conversation for another day. But it raises the question, the ire of, of specter over what goes on in households. And there have been certainly plenty of reported cases where children come home to report that their teachers were asking very pointed questions about uh, sexual behaviors and things of this sort within the household or uh, whether or not a child is ever engaged in sexual relations, things of this sort, would seemingly to me be highly inappropriate questions. But I have to wonder, are those kinds of um, very personal questions about um, sexual norms within a household or beliefs and what the parents are teaching and whatnot, is that legal at any level? Uh, no, it's not. In fact, uh, parents have to uh, would have to consent uh, to, to such disclosure of information, and uh, school districts have no business uh, prying into that, and uh, that's most unfortunate because we, we do see that taking place, and parents need to know that they do have rights. And in fact, Craig, we have a on our website, initially the opt-out form, we have a uh, question and answer uh, sheet just for Californians, and it goes through all of these questions and answers, and they can download it also for free, of course, but it's so helpful because it empowers parents on knowing their rights uh, on uh, on all these issues, including the, the question you just mentioned. Does that also address the issue of what is and is not age appropriate? We hear that terminology so often, and sometimes the information I've heard as to what's discussed in public classrooms, uh, maybe it's appropriate for kids today, but it would have been highly unordinary uh, when I was a child. And certainly um, levels of maturity vary from child to child, so what might be appropriate for one might be terribly inappropriate for another. How exactly is that determined, and can a parent step in and say, you know, I think the uh, the instructional materials are not going to be age-appropriate for my son or daughter? Yeah, parents definitely can do that. And one thing that we at Pacific Justice Institute recommend parents to do is to approach their, their school board, as we did recently with the Orange County Board of Education just this last month, uh, recommending them and all school districts in California to form a parental review committee uh, to review all materials in terms of curriculum as well as sex education uh, to make that determination whether or not it is, is or is not age appropriate. We uh, did something like that in Santa Rosa. Uh, for example, uh, successfully in another school district as well. Um, so that's something proactive. If, you know, if, if school districts, Craig, want to have parental trust, um, they've got to be transparent. Uh, they've got to work with the parents because if they don't have parental trust, uh, public education cannot work effectively. It has to have parental involvement. You don't have parental involvement unless you have parental trust. So uh, I think these kind of review committees are helpful. We at Pacific Justice would be happy to work with any school district or school board in helping them uh, put together such a uh, parental review committee. And certainly, as you point out, Councilor, that sense of cooperation uh, between the school district, uh, teachers, and parents critically important because at the end of the day, we all should be in favor of having the best outcome possible scholastically for our children. Brad Dacus, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, this guidebook for parents related to uh, sex education in the public classroom and your rights as a parent, available on the website and uh, without cost or obligation when you go to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you a little bit of uh, traffic ahead of some uh, headline news here. Standing by with the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center is Michael Bennett. Michael. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.